Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2018. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom. And how are you two holding up with the newfound warm weather up here? I'm melting. (laughs) I'm sunburned. Melting, sunburned. How are you, Amato? I'm totally fine. (laughs) Well, isn't it wonderful to be you? I guess it is. I'm... I don't know, maybe I was going to say I'm a shade darker skinned than you two, but actually that's not true. Well, I also have a very low sweat point, too, so there's not, no point when it's warm where I'm not sweaty. Mm. <laughs> I totally agree with that, and humidity really gets to me. You totally I agree that Dom is very sweaty. all the time. No, you know, it's, it's fair. It's a weird way to phrase that. I mean, I'm the same. Also, it's just weird to me that I got a sunburn because I haven't had one in years. I think my skin has finally readapted itself to Portland winters and become very pale and now very sensitive. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Darn sun. On my last uh, vacation, it was surprisingly sunny the entire time, and I got a little bit red, but no real sunburn or anything. By your last vacation, do you mean the trip you just came back from a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Okay. The, right. the one to both uh, London and Brittany, supposedly some of the rainiest places ever, and it was all just sunny the whole time. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. It totally it depends the, on, like, the angle of the sun, whether you get burned, right, or something. I don't know. I think it's amount and duration. That's true, too, but, <laughs> you know. I don't think you can get a glancing blow from the sun. <laughs> well, no, but the angle at which the sun hits you is a factor. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't just bringing up weather because I am completely out of other social talk ideas. <laughs> well... Uh, Tori and I were actually talking that in Portland, weather is a legitimate topic to talk about because mm-hmm. it can change and be dynamic on a dime, and you need multiple sources to confirm <laughs> what, what you think. It's actually, yeah, like we were mentioning, it's like gossip. It's just like, hear what the weather's going to do? Where did you hear that from? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. <laughs> the scandal of the weather changing, especially during a season like spring when it gets really erratic. And I think climate change has also made a big difference here. People will talk nonstop about colder winters, hotter summers, which is a reality. I it's, heard it's going to snow this, this Wednesday. No, I heard it was going to snow this <laughs> Thursday, but get a little bit warmer beforehand. <laughs> You're right. I guess the weather talk does have a quality more than just nice day. Yep. Yeah, well, <laughs> a lot I, of the time. You literally, when I lived in Florida, you would not talk about the weather unless there was a hurricane coming. Well, speaking it of was Florida. was not a topic. Speaking of Florida and weather and hurricanes, what I was going to say is that I let in with weather because our fanfic today is very concerned with heat and mm. weather. And set in Florida. And set in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make a controversial statement here. We're reading a... Xena fanfic today. Now, before we delve into the controversy of that statement, oh, right. I'd like to just ask you what your background with Xena, Warrior Princess, is. Um, I'll go first because it's very short. Yep. Uh, I watched an episode earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, back in the 90s on daytime television, I, got, I caught one or two Hercules episodes, which I think is the closest I got. I didn't like that show back then, but I watched it if there was nothing else on. I, yeah, I feel like that was the general attitude towards Hercules' yeah. legendary journeys. It was a bad show. <laughs> totally, yeah. I would watch Hercules when it tied into Xena, but I still thought it was bad. Well, Dom, I can one-up you on your Xena experience. I watched an episode of Xena a few years ago, and it was the first episode, too. 
So Always the best episode. That's about it. <laughs> but, Tori, you're going to save us here, right? Uh, not really. I watched Xena pretty frequently when I was a kid, but not religiously. I haven't seen all the episodes. It would come on, and I'd be really interested in it. Um, I have to say it was probably the thing that made me gay. <laughs> So you were just you know. so straight before you watched Cena. <laughs> yeah, I was like five, but I, when did Cena come out? I don't remember. Ninety five, ninety six. Sounds right. Okay, so I was little. I'm couple, guessing well, seven, maybe. Anyway, point being, I I did really like it. It was just one of those many shows that before you could watch things on the tip of your fingers, like you can with Netflix, etc. You'd just be like a kid, and you'd be like, "What's on this afternoon?" Right? Mm-hmm. And Zeno might be one of those things. I kind of tuned in in the middle of some drama, I remember. And I remember, I don't think it was the first episode I saw, but it strikes me as the one, which is Larry Zena and Gabrielle Kiss. Because as a kid, I was like, what? You can do that? You can, yeah. Like, it was like a you can do that moment. And I think it always, like, held this kind of, like, alien, like, I don't know, like, uh, appeal, I suppose, because of because of that moment. Hmm. It was really fun to watch. I'd be partially interested in rewatching it as a study of uh, gay in the popular culture in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it's huge for lesbians even now, so that's why I'm still, you know, and I've always been meaning to go back and watch it, because it I mean, I guess I shouldn't say huge, but like people reference no, it, it there. Like, it if you're a lesbian, you, you're into Xena, right? You know, like. And that's why I chose it, even though we're really not particularly Xenaverse, is because the whole fandom around it is so fascinating. Our story today is Tropical Storm, which is a novel by Melissa Good, who I believe the internet handle was Merwolf back in the day. And it was published online in 1998. It was then published. Um, in actual book form by something something publishing jhp whatever um in 99 it was published again like republished again later on and it's you know what what most fandoms would call an au an alternate universe which is to say the characters are not xena warrior princess and gabrielle amazon princess sometimes occasionally but they are kind of supposed to be the same characters or at least played by the same actresses in the modern day. Mm -hmm. The conceit is that, like, they're reincarnated. We'll come back to that. But, like, Xena fanfic of this sort, the term in the Xena Xena fandom are ubers, apparently became a whole, like, lesbian romance publishing thing. This was only the first novel of this type that was published by a small, like, lesbian romance publishing company, and it was not the last. And even just this series had, like, another, you know, nine or ten sequels put out uh, in print as well as online. And I'm told through the grapevine it kind of caused a bit of a lesbian romance publishing boom. And for a long time, if you ever saw two characters and one of them is kind of more world-weary and one of them is kind of younger and blonde and they look like Lucy Lawless and um, <laughs> and what's her name? Mm-hmm. Gabrielle's actress. Like, if you were keyed in, you would just kind of, you would immediately pick up. It's like, okay, yeah, so they're supposed to be Zena and Gabrielle. They're supposed to be like those characters and those character dynamic again. Pretty archetypal, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually kind of curious if that's, like, derived from Xena. It sort of feels like those characters were already archetypes, but maybe their relationship and their romantic involvement wasn't so much. Because it's sort of like a mentor, 
you know, guiding the the young protege who's just close enough in age to possibly be a romantic interest. Seems like something that's definitely happened in media before. Hmm. I've seen a lot of this in manga, actually, where you have the older person and the slightly younger... The, it's the senpai kohai relationship. Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's like a yaoi thing. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's in a lot of stuff. Uh, it's not, Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's, that's actually... A pretty common gay thing. Like, a lot of Yuri stuff, too, yeah. That's just a gay thing, now that I think about it. Was, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't thought about this before, but, like, age differences on gay relationships are pretty historical as, like, the older gay guiding the younger person into what it means to be in that lifestyle and then developing a romance out of it. It's like freaking Socrates, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's interesting in that you see all these studies about things like housework um, in couples, and they're just like, oh, gay couples are more egalitarian, on average, period. Like... And they all just, there's heavy, like, statistically significant stuff about gay couples always be not always, but on average being much more even in, like, how much work gets done by each partner around the house or whatever than in heterosexual couples. That's nice. Where it tends to fall on the woman. Well, yeah, that makes total sense. Like, <laughs> internalized misogyny in, like, you know, if both partners are consider themselves to be the same gender, the the internalized misogyny is either falling on each person equally or not falling in that way quite as much, I guess. Though yeah, I there's, think no, there's no men, assumptions. You, you have know, to like yeah. actually talk about who's doing what right. from, like, from square one. And it's funny because I have <laughs> noticed this in a lot of like very liberal heterosexual Portland couples that it still ends up that the woman does most of the child care, stays home from work or like does most of the housework. And it, I think a lot of that is usually the choice like that women make and the men they're with are just like, okay. And it's not a bad thing or anything. It's just, it's interesting how the cards always kind of fall in that direction. Well, there's, you know, financial issues where just because of uneven earning mm-hmm. a lot of times, that's kind of what you're forced into. Totally. And there's, you know, heavy pressure to be like a good mother, which involves breastfeeding, which involves like, you know, things yes. that sabotage one's ability to maintain a career. Through having small children. Yeah, parenthood makes a huge difference in that, for Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, What were we talking about? Uh, Xena? Xena. Xena. Right. More or less Xena. (laughs) Tropical Storm. Tropical Storm is what we were reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It Uh, is... um, The official term is hella long. Um, So this is a... This was an official published book. First it was published online, then it was published by, I just found the word, Justice House Publishing. Okay. And republished, like, you know, eight years after that or whatever. Do you know if there was any um, editing that happened between the digital and the analog version? Yes, there was. I don't know exactly what form that took, but I know they are not the same versions. Okay. And so we we have the edited version. I think it's supposed to be better. Um, now... Despite the fact that we were reading the published version of this, mm-hmm. I can't just share that with you all online or anything. So the link, bit.ly slash rfrstorm, is pointing to the online version of the story. And, you know, go use interlibrary loan or whatever and find a copy if you're interested. You can probably still buy it, too. Probably, I think. Yeah. 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 Um. I'd like to make a note, too, just about this being a published book, is that it's published by Yellow Rose Books, which is out of Nederland, Texas. That is the current publisher, yeah. Oh, that's the current. I was wondering if that was the original publisher, because it's just, I've never heard of Nederland, and Texas seems an interesting place to, like, for a lesbian fiction to kind of... Come out of? Come out of, yeah. Just well, in general. Maybe it's the, in Austin? <laughs> it's, it's called, well, it says Nederland, which... 
is a it's presumably a city. Maybe it's a suburb of Austin. I've never heard of it. Mm. I don't know. I remember reading online somewhere that the author, Melissa Good, was at some point, possibly while writing it, a computer industry person in Florida. And so she was writing what she knew with this book. Yeah, I think it says in the intro. Is that right? I Yeah, I think that's pretty apparent because... Because it, it, it comes across like the knowledge specific, of the area yeah. and the knowledge of the industry. It's in the intro on the uh, website mm-hmm. where they explain what they wrote and why. And it's like, why are they software engineer people in Florida because... Right, what do you know? They were a software engineer person in Florida. And they're in Miami too, which is interesting. Or they're in Dade County, but presumably Miami. Now, they're near Miami for sure. Yeah, I mean, Dade is... I would say Dade County is kind of like Miami and suburbs of Miami, right? So. All right. Now let's back up a little bit because we kind of have to circle this a little bit. Um, the controversial statement this was a Xena fanfic is because this has nothing to do with Xena Warrior Princess as noted. But the, the Xena fandom produced a whole lot of works like this with the conceit of kind of like reincarnated Xena and Gabrielle. And it, apparently it comes out of an episode or two that the actual series did. And Dom, that was the one episode you watched earlier today, right? The Xena Scrolls season two, I believe. Yes. And what what's the deal with the Xena Scrolls exactly? It's nineteen forty four, and they're in um, what's that part that's not Greece that Alexander came from Macedonia? That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Macedonia. There were, and one of them was an archaeologist who was looking for the Xena Scrolls. And the other one was a daughter of a professor that studied the scrolls. Mm-hmm. And they were in an Indiana Jones type and a bookish, worm, bookish, uh, scared socialite type, and they flipped it because Gabby was the uh, the, the hardcore fighter, and the Lucy Lawless was the, uh, the socialite. The, the yeah, huh? That's cool. And they find a tomb, and they find out how to get into it when some other people are holding them at gunpoint, and they also want to get in there and get the scrolls, and they go in there and they find the scrolls, and there's some flashbacks to quote-unquote ancient history, which is the Xena show. I don't know if those were flashbacks or original scenes from the sh- that they shot for that. Uh, but they go down there and they find Ares in a, in a coffin. Sure. And, and he comes out alive. And then they recombine the uh, chakram. The, yeah. 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 Chakram. And, uh, and Xena possesses their uh, descendant... <laughs> Okay. And then they fight uh, Ares, who wants to be released into the world, and here has heard a lot of good things about this Hitler fellow that they want to help foster. <laughs> oh, dear God. That yeah. really happens? That really happens. Oh, man. Yeah. But eventually they... Wait, wait, wait. How could Ares have heard anything being sealed down in Macedonia? Uh, I might have missed it, but Ares knew everything about everybody. Like, he knew who these people were, okay. what they did for the job, what their lineage was. And so it's... It's stated that they're descendants of Zena and Gabrielle. Yeah. Is it also implied that they are reincarnations? Um, once the chakram is re-completed, it was broken at first mm-hmm. and then brought back together, then Zena possesses, uh, completely takes over the, the descendant. Yeah, but, but that's like, possession. that could be possession by an ancestor. Well, but, they don't... Oh, sorry, go on. It, is it presented as like possession by an you know ancestral ghost or is it presented as like, oh, I regained my past life memories? Uh, they don't talk about it. Fair enough. <laughs> they hold it, and then it's Xena, and Xena like rips the skirt and throws off the the high heeled shoes and kicks ass. Okay. 
And then they stop doing that, and then they're the other person again. Okay. Well, I think what the fandom ran with was the idea of reincarnation. Because um, to, to talk about Tropical Storm, you two ended up reading the first part, which is all I really assigned, because it, it's pretty long. Mm-hmm. But I signed that a long time ago, and I just kind of read Tropical Storm, and then I read the next book, and then I read the next few books, and I got like five or six books into this series mm-hmm. before I kind of burned out. And... You like definitely as presented here, they are reincarnations. They never address Xena directly, but the characters occasionally have like dreams of what is clearly supposed to be Xena and Gabrielle hanging out. And there's oh. occasional occasional like talk about the idea of reincarnation kind of in passing. And that's certainly what the implication is supposed to be. In one of those kind of dream memory things, I think, Carrie gets to see Carrie, who is the Gabrielle character sees Dar in what is clearly her Xena outfit. And, you know, Dar then gets to complain. Get this complaint when that dream is related to her about, like, why would you wear armor and a skirt? That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah. What kind of armor was this? And then, of course, you have a lot of their personalities being, like, sort of different, but then actually, like, really similar. Like, Dar, who is Xena, actually, like, has a past of being like really aggressive and fighting people and then mm-hmm. has to do that at one point again. And we could talk through or a couple points. We can talk yeah. about it blow by blow if we want. But. We may as well talk about at least the setup part because the setup part is what we read about who these characters are and how they end up being brought together. Mm-hmm. And then I can summarize for you where it kind of goes from there. Um, so again, set in Florida and our characters are both in kind of the software engineering, mostly kind of part of, of computer services. We have Dar Roberts, who is the Xena Lucy Lawless character. And she's vice president of operations for like an extremely large, like, what is it? It's like computer services. They, they, I read so many of these books and I'm still kind of hard pressed to describe because I'm not a computer person. It's an information technology service. Right. Yeah, I still don't know exactly what they do, because I think a lot more of the focus, like, there are some computer terms that are also kind of antiquated, so I don't recognize them, but mostly the focus is on, like, the company merger rather than what the companies do. They do um, do corporate takeovers of other places and then skin and and bones and then... um, sell the rest and absorb the rest. That, that is among that's, the things they do. Yeah, and well, that's, so, yeah, that's what Dar's company does. That, but what yeah. Carrie's company does seemed a oh, little more... Oh, no, no. Carrie's company was specifically providing software for Did some specific say? purpose for local hospitals and, like, maintaining yeah. it. And, like, yeah. it was all very specific. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Xena... I'm sorry, Dar. As, as vice president of operations, she does a lot of stuff. She manages a lot of, like... Uh, internet lines and that sort of thing but she's also sort of a troubleshooter and a hatchet man and so she's brought in for like you said Dom kind of dismantling companies they hostile took over yeah which I guess is supposed to be the equivalent of like going through and murdering a bunch of people with a chakram <laughs> yeah in is in America the- it could be literally murdering some people if they lose their health insurance yeah. so you know she's yeah. trying she's supposed to be excuse me she's supposed to be like a hard ass you know, like, in this company and, like, has a reputation for just being a terrible bitch. <laughs> they use that word. But anyway, point being, it's weird because, like, she got a... The first thing that happens is, like, she gets a message from John... And it's Alistair? Is that John Deer? 
Don't was like, oh no, never no. Mind. Anyway, I don't remember this guy being a continual character, but it's about Associated Synergetics, which is the company that our Carrie or Gabrielle works at, and it's like they say something like. The Associated Synergenics deal went through. There's a lot of email on this. They passed diligence late last night, so we need to get a pirate squad in there. Lucky for me, it's in your neck of the woods. Let me know how the raping and pillaging goes. All right, John D. Yeah. And she's just like, okay. Yeah. Haha, that's hilarious. Raping and pillaging. Haha. But anyway. There's supposed to be a metaphor drawn here. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember in Xena. I know that Xena kind of had an interesting past, but I don't think she was ever supposed to be a rapist. So well, that no. makes me very uncomfortable, but whatever. I understand the metaphor they're going for. Yes. Because, yeah, in Xena, she was formerly a, like, evil warlord and turned D&D adventurer, I guess. <laughs> yes, basically. Turned so. awful good. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got Carrie. Carrie Roberts. Lots of K, no, not K sounds. Lots of R sounds. Dar, Carrie. Yeah. Also, by the way, is Dar a, a name? It's short for. Daria? Wait, wait Daria. for it. Wait for it. Paladar. <laughs> Are you serious? That's not a name. Stop it. I'm quite serious. And they don't no. address that. Oh no, absolutely address it. But the first like, time, like, I Car- mean, in the because I read like ten chapters in. The first time Carrie hears it, she's like, "Oh, like a paladin." Like, you did read fancy novels, mm. and Dar's like, "No." Actually, no, I did. I do remember that part now. Oh my god. Well, I can anyway. understand why wanting to go by Dar instead of Pal. <laughs> pal. pal. Hey, Pal. Or Paladar. Hey, Paladar. Uh, Carrie, by the way, is Kariston. I think Karison? Karison. Yeah, it was weird. Her name is spelled K-E-R-R-Y, which isn't very common, but yeah, so. Yeah, yeah you're right, because I thought that was Karison. Karison. Yeah, I was very confused when her parents were calling that. I thought it was a weird nickname. No, Carrie is the nickname. Okay, so their and, names are just fucking weird. And, yes. And speaking of parents, Carrie is the scion of a, like, super conservative evil politician from, like, Vermont. Um, uh, no, Midwest. the Midwest. No, no, not Vermont. Midwest, of course. Midwest. <laughs> Michigan, I Michigan. think. Yeah. You know, Vermont, Michigan, same. Uh, my uh, evil I, I can't even say that. Michigan, so. <laughs> even as a West Coaster, I can't actually say that. No. Um, anyway, so she was brought up in a super controlling environment and has sort of like levered her way free enough to go have a job elsewhere in the country. Mostly she's like, hey, I'm going to go take a job. Bye. But like, her, her parents are still keeping very, very close check on her. And they're expecting her any time now when her fiancé finishes law school to move back and marry Well, when this uh, job, quote-unquote, thing she's doing peters out and this silly desire she has to be independent and their own person peters <laughs> out, they'll come back to the Midwest as long as they, you know, maintain their figure also as... Oh my god. It's it's pretty constant in this book and I think it's that kind guy. of I, I think it's kind of well done in a way where Carrie is constantly kind of worrying about her weight and her appearance and you pick it up pretty soon that that's because that's been hammered home by her mother to be like yeah. constantly It's like first or second thing both the mother and their father ask Carrie about it's like hey yeah. have you gotten fat? It's really hard cuz Food is a huge thing in this, and going out to true. eat, yeah. and, and her fixation, food. yeah, and Dar does that, and Carrie does not. Carrie's fixation is to enjoy food, and it, it is like it's clearly an eating disorder, but I feel like it's never explicitly gone to that point. It's sort of played off a little bit. It's a little understated, and but it's so prevalent. It's yeah. like every 
of their page. She's talking about how she can't eat this and she can't eat that. So I almost wonder if the author was struggling with an ED because it's a huge part of this book. And yeah, also, um, exercising, maybe over-exercising in order to compensate for any food they're yeah, eating. Yeah, one of those yeah. things where it's like, oh, I had this cheesecake, so I better go yeah. like do, go on the treadmill for an hour or whatever. I mean, like, I just got to say. Concern. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it was kind of triggering for me. Like, yeah. that's not a yeah. criticism, um, but it's just like... It, wow, it's, yeah, definitely it's really por- in your face. Yeah, it would, and it's definitely portrayed as a bad thing. And, like, she's got a friend mm-hmm. who, like, isn't pushing it, who clearly is kind of, like, concerned about it. What's her name, Colleen? Well, I got the idea that they were suffering from, like, similar things, and they were just kind of mm-hmm. guilty jogging buddies. Mm. Yeah, well, it was weird, because the way they described that relationship was sort of, like, they both... I think Carrie describes her friend as being, like, on the rounder side, quote-unquote, or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were both trying to keep weight off. And I feel like at one point, you know, maybe even now, nobody really questions that when women are just like, we need to stay thin and we'll jog mm-hmm. together. But then when you hear all these expressions, it's like, you know, I don't know. Well, it's it's definitely a dynamic later on in the relationship between Dar and Carrie. Yes. That, like, Dar is, they use the word what is it, hedonist, hedonist? How do you say that? Hedonist. They, they, they use yeah. the word hedonist a lot to refer but to, like, Dar and later Carrie also. But really, it's just like she really enjoys food and she she stays really physically active but also just eats whatever the hell she wants and can get away with that with no health repercussions in particular, well, yeah. I guess. Dar, like, eats a lot and also enjoys working out also. It That's just true. It happens to work out well for Dar. Yeah. Seems like. Yeah, well, they also mentioned that, like, she is a lot heavier than people expect her to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, my first instinct was what she immediately goes to, which is, like, muscle weighs yeah. more than fat. Yeah. But she also has, like, she doesn't immediately jump to that conclusion. She's just like, yeah, you know. Anyway, Dar definitely, when she starts hearing Carrie be like, oh, no, I really need to watch, you know, watch my figure or whatever, her first instinct is like, no, like, <laughs> enjoy this food. Look, this looks delicious. Share my, share my sundae. Yeah, but they don't, yeah, they don't really get to that until <laughs> much later, because their relationship is not good at first. Right, let's go into the actual premise. Yeah. So Carrie's working for that um, little kind of, like, hospital, some kind of hospital software um, provide, not provider, whatever you call it company type thing some sort of healthcare um, adjacent technology service provider right they, they do a lot of working with clients and um, a lot of the good work they've done is setting up personal re- relationships with like pillars of the, of the community and other people in the area and just pe- person-to-person work yeah they're very she's very proud of what she's done especially getting out from her family's thumb and dar comes in because her company has bought synergetics here and Gets to go to Carrie, who's sort of like the office manager. What's her position? More no, than that. It's Carrie's more than the, that. She's the highest you can yeah. possibly get in that She's company. the highest you can get in that company. She's like the president of the company. Owning it, right. Like, like, yeah. like head of IT for that Head company. of IT. Yeah. So she's basically in charge of everybody else. And so she's the one who gets to face down Dar when Dar's like, well, uh, we're going to look over what you have here. And they go in really aggressively, Dar's company, because they've had companies try to like hide information or kind of, like, sabotage things out of spite when they know they're all going to get axed. Yeah. Um, when, like, people know they're going to get fired, they, like, um, well, they do whatever people do when they panic. They, right. they lie, cheat, steal. And so she kind of comes in with a crew that kind of lock things down. Mm. Um, or the crew comes in first, and then Dar rolls in. Yeah. And so there's a really fraught confrontation between the two of them. Um, 
Tori, are you like finding that spot there or? No. Oh, it um, looked like you were looking for something. I am looking for something. It's not specifically that. So. That's fine. But to summarize, Carrie starts arguing that like, look, sure, you have people who do some of the things we do, but there's got to be skills here and relationships here and stuff that it's more valuable for you to like incorporate into your large company than it is to just completely axe. Mm. And she's not even looking to save her own job. She's just like, well, maybe I can get some of my employees to be folded into, what, what's the big company's name? ILS? I something S? I didn't really pick up, no. What? Yeah, they don't mention it that often. I mean, I, I've read it many times. It just didn't stick. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. the company. Mm-hmm. And basically, what Dar has done this over and over and over again, and the procedure is to just get everything you, you need, everything you want, and cut everything out. Mm-hmm. And this time... Dar hesitates for some reason. Partially, she's impressed by someone actually standing up to the super scary hatchet woman who's coming in, which doesn't usually happen. Partially, once she does, like, leave in that meeting, she's like, sure, look over the numbers, make me a proposal. Like, (laughs) fine. Yeah. But she's actually, like, impressed by the work Carrie puts in. Carrie's, like, keeping in touch by email, puts together, like, very thoughtful arguments. Like, it's like, wouldn't this be more profitable to do this and retain this part? And, you know, Dar looking at these things like, yeah, I guess that's actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's impressed by that as well. And these are opportunities Dar usually doesn't give mm-hmm. to taking over companies. But Dar has done this time because, like, Carrie has caught their interest. Yeah, no, if nothing else, even if it is, even if some of these arguments might carry water, that, like, it could be a little bit more profitable, the scale that they're operating in, it seems like it's not, like, worth the mental yeah, effort. completely <laughs> different than the... Yeah. Than the Make a multinational company. Right. Well, kind of first the impression I think we get of Dar is pretty, like, a cold businesswoman, but she is intrigued by Carrie in an unexpected way, which flusters her, mm-hmm. is kind of what we get from her perspective. But as we kind of start to get, you know, and Carrie is, of course, really upset with Dar and does not like her, but also strangely intrigued by her as well, of course. By her intense charisma. Yeah. But as the relationship develops, we start to see Dar as a person who actually does care a lot about people. But that kind of comes slowly. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. You can kind of look back on her motivations and be like, oh, well, yeah, maybe this is an opportunity she would have given anybody. But I think she wanted to have the opportunity to give it to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she wanted to help if she could. So she tries. She's like, give me a proposal. I really want to make this work. But she doesn't say that. She's like, give me a proposal. Because I'm a tough lady. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And they get in t- they keep in touch over that. And um, I think they even meet up in person at some point in that process again. No, maybe I'm wrong. No. Uh, they do not. But Carrie submits a proposal. And Dara looks it over and is like, okay, like, I guess if we do it this way, we can retain these, like, such and such employees. Sounds good. And then, like, her boss passes on that, like, there's kind of a change in situation for the budget or, like, the, the profits they need to show at the end of the quarter. And so... Dar has to go back and be like, oh, actually, I can't make this work, and we're going to have to just axe the whole employee group. Originally, Dar's boss told them that they had to get rid of 50% of the cost of that company, Mm -hmm. and normally that would just be firing everybody and keeping the stuff. Mm -hmm. And they told um, Carrie? Dar told told Carrie? Uh, Is that the other person's name? Yeah, Carrie Carrie. is Gabrielle. Yeah, Dar told Carrie that if you can can cut costs by 50%, then we can keep yeah. everybody else on. Right. And so that's the the proposal they've been working on. And by the t- by the end of the deadline that Dar has given Carrie, 
they realized that because of how things are processed in the computer that no matter what they cut, it's going to be um, affecting the uh, mega corporation's bottom line, and that's just untenable. Yeah, yeah. and it's particularly untenable at this point when, like, the the profits are going to be shown at the end of the quarter, yeah, and, at, like, at this it's point, a big deal. at this point in the budget cycle. Right. And so what ends up happening there, because I, I mean, we may as well, this is only, like, the first few chapters. Like, this whole situation is resolved by the end of, like, chapter five or six. What ends up happening is that Carrie ends up, I think, no, Dar ends up going to Carrie's place or something. They had to stay up late uh, working on it. No. No. Other way around? No. Where did they meet? No. Up? They're, no, they're no. They're all separately working on the problem. It's been a while um, since I read it. But well, they, they have to meet up together at one point. No, they do. I, I oh, gotcha. The yeah. Dom's got it. Sorry. But, so they both have been separately working on the problem. Mm-hmm. And they've been emailing back and forth. Dar, they mentioned, has been awake for three days straight on their end trying to make it work. And when they realize that. Like it's down to midnight and it's not going to work out. They, they they call Carrie and tell them, "I'm sorry, but we're going to have to fire everybody." Mm-hmm. And then Carrie gets upset, and um, everybody else has gone home for the weekend, and they go for a drive in the Keys, uh, in, in Florida Keys. Oh, that's right. That's where this whole incident happens. Yeah. 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 Well, I was just going to mention though before there's like an interesting thing going on in this exchange of emails where it's like emotions are weirdly building. It's a lot of emailing back and forth. Yeah, both of them are nervous about being kind of friendly to each other. Yeah, <laughs> and they they each do like slightly more casual things than they normally do and then feel weird and uncomfortable. And it's really funny because like they're both trying to hold a position of power, but they keep doing that. But Carrie is very uniquely coming from perspective of wanting to appear powerful mm-hmm. when actually feeling insecure, whereas Dar is coming from perspective of feeling insecure but normally being very powerful. Yeah. So I, there's an interesting juxtaposition of their roles that I wanted to bring up. But yeah, so then they get to that point where they're yeah. like... So Carrie is out in the Keys in the middle of midnight and they run out of gas and yeah. they're assaulted by a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. This part was strange. And... Um, <laughs> this point they have some cell phone technology but not a lot mm-hmm. and they have a number that Dar gave them that Dar thinks that Carrie thinks goes to Dar's secretary mm-hmm. and they think well I'll just call the secretary and get the secretary to call AAA for me because I don't have that number and in fact it goes straight to Dar's cell phone Dar's personal cell phone yeah. yes and Dar happens to be like right there in the area just by sheer coincidence mm. and so she gets this kind of swoop in and uh, beat off some like people who are sort of well Actually, what happens is that Carrie runs out of gas well, yeah. and didn't bring her wallet, right? Yeah, but then... The, yeah. But then all of a yeah. sudden, yeah, it's shady, and there's this weird part where people are, like, attacking her, breaking her window and attacking her. Yeah, we, we've been talking about that. Yeah. I know, but it was uncomfortable because it was, like, the people were clearly, like, speaking Spanish, and, like, everybody who speaks Spanish has spoken weird Spanish in this, and then it's, like, the people who assault her, like... Yeah. It was there's Anyway. Even in this book, there's some range, but it's true, the Spanish speakers are usually pretty marked off. And anyway, Dar gets to swoop in. It's a little bit, um, what's the word, engineered by the author. Yeah, Dar happens to have been in the area. Yeah. Or by fate, I suppose, if if we're going that way. Um, And gets to be a bit of a badass and save Carrie. And then they also... Then, um... Uh, they tow Carrie's car back to Carrie's apartment and Dar takes Carrie back to Dar's office for some uh, reason right. where they kind of talk about the situation and they last minute realize a situation that can save the company. Mm-hmm. 
And then the fallout of all this is that at kind of the end of that whole deal, Dar, impressed by Carrie's aptness, offers her a position as her assistant, who she normally doesn't keep because she's, like, um, hard to work with. And at that point, that's kind of where when I was first reading, I thought you could end this as a short story and it would be like the end of a story and there would have been an arc. That was the yeah. amount that you um, assigned. To yeah, us. that's why, because that's kind of like set up the whole premise. And I didn't feel like we needed to read any specific amount more than that to be able to kind of talk about it a little bit. At the um, end of that part, had they gone out to eat a meal together oh, yet? Probably. There's my, a lot of eating meals. Like, yeah, my main point was that I don't think I've said this on the microphone, even though I've said it outside of it, is that there's a lot of them sitting down to eat together, and it feels like after a certain point, perhaps around the point that we were supposed to finish, it is just them sitting down and eating food together and talking, and then some of the other elements of like Dar trying to get Carrie to eat food because she wants her to be stronger and then worrying about her. And that just seems to continue a lot. Well, there I can describe kind of the shape of this book. Okay. It's kind of an odd yeah. shape. Please, because like, I stopped um, a couple of chapters after this incident. Right. After this incident where I feel like you could end a story and it would be a complete story, mm-hmm. it's after that relationship building for a little while. And by about halfway through the book, there's kind of been a... Um, a mini conflict set up at a involving getting a a contract from Disney, and they've like gone to Disney World area for that purpose. But mostly, it's like very. It's the most important thing is about them getting closer together and moving from like, hey, we get along pretty well. We kind of want to be friends, even though that's difficult. And wait, we're really attracted to each other. And then deciding by about halfway through that book that they do want to get into a relationship, even though that's kind of awkward and inappropriate at this point because now Dar is Carrie's immediate boss. Yeah. But they do it anyway. And then the strangest thing about the structure of this book is that then for the last half of the book, maybe more like 40%, after that's all been resolved, that's another place where I could end a book, I would think, Mm -hmm. there's a new major conflict, and it's really harrowing with Carrie's family, wherein she goes back home to be like, look, I'm not marrying this guy you kind of set me up with from childhood to, like, be my fiancé. Mm-hmm. And I am staying, you know, at home and, you know, in Florida and living my own life. And also I'm gay. And they they throw her into a, you know, one of those insane asylum type situations. Oh my God. That's really, it's really harrowing. And, like, her her senator father is, like, a real bastard and has like kind of a right hand you know shady dealings guy and like and dar has like an army or i guess in in that case air force sort of related buddy who like ends up going in with her to like help bust her out and it's like very actiony and it's very different from the first half of the book this is strange to me because i was on page 112 Mm -hmm. of this book when I stopped reading. Sure. And I felt like the plot was very slow going and it was just Dar and Carrie having conversations. Well, the book has 471 pages. Right. But it's like, <laughs> wow, like what a change towards the end there. Yes. I almost wish it had been a little more compressed, though I can't say I'm a big fan of the whole institutionalizing plot. I don't know how it's done, but oh, it, it's... it feels weird that it would pick up such action and pace right at the end. It was, I, I'm not saying that's all at the end, though. I'm, like, it's oh, okay. still a significant amount of the book. <laughs> I see. Because it's see. a really long book. Still, but like a quarter of the way in the book and like barely any action or barely even any development of relationship has happened. It, and does it pick up um, right after that? or like? Well, there's a lot of relationship building to get them mm-hmm. to kind of like the stable relationship point. 
And as a series of books, the, by that point, the relationship is pretty settled. But by the end of the second book, they've moved in together and gotten married mm. by the very, very end mm. of the second book. And then there's like six more, like six more books, eight more books. It, it goes on. And so was very committed. Well, it was a very popular series also. Yeah. Um, people like these characters. And it was enough to publish. Yeah, absolutely. To publish and then to publish more. Right. You know, the publisher was like, well, we made money on that. Give us another several. That's cool. Um, you know, it, it is cool. And when I say I read these, though, I just like to say, speaking about the series as a whole, I skimmed a lot of it. Mm. Because a lot of the word count of any given book is a lot of kind of them being very loving towards each other and them not like being thankful for each other. It's like a very, very positive relationship. Mm. Them having like romantic sexual passion towards each other, them enjoying food together, right? Mm. It, it, it kind of cycles back around to those points, no matter what the other plots are that are going on, on a fairly regular okay. basis. Yeah. But that's awesome. It is because awesome. Because <laughs> that's the great thing about Xena too. And it actually, it makes a lot of sense, like, we, when you're reading the first quarter of the first book, why Carrie has such a food issue and Dar's relationship to food as positive is also emphasized, because it seems like apparently they move towards a positive thing, with food being mm-hmm. a very, like, <clears throat> centering, like, Taurus-like thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of losing my voice, but with food being, like, a very centering, like, Taurus-like thing, you know, where you're, mm-hmm. like positive relationship commitment home which is exactly what's great about xena is there's not a lot of conflicts between xena and gabrielle it's Mm -hmm. not about their relationship being tried it's about them being a positive match for each other and lesbianism being like a comforting homey and good thing and that's what this series is there's a lot of quaint domestic quaint lesbian domesticity and there's a lot of problems being solved by some combination of being really good at computer science (laughs) Um, intimidation ruthless business tactics (laughs) ruthless business tactics and pointed threats of physical violence or demonstrations of physical violence and you know I say that kind of as a positive thing because at least they mix it up you know it's not there's a there's a Swiss army knife of like intimidation and physical violence and computer skills that that, you know (laughs) you you get the whole range there and I'm sorry sometimes diplomacy also Mm -hmm. Um, yeah (laughs) So it's a fun series, which is why I kept reading it. But I was doing a lot of skimming because I got the point for some of the themes and motifs. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. I mean, that's the impression I'm getting from the start of it. Yeah. Well, I was, I'm looking at my notes here, and I have one in the middle, somewhere between chapter one and five, where I note that I am kind of interested, but not really compelled. Mm-hmm. Like, if I wasn't assigned to read... Um, so many chapters, I probably would have petered out a little bit beforehand, before the end of that conflict. Yeah. Well, I think you commented off the mic, the pacing feels off in this book, and I totally agree. Yeah. And I think the author doesn't really get the pacing down for a few books, but certainly there are always more high-stakes conflicts from the second half of this book onwards. Um throughout the series as a whole. Like, there's always something dramatic and, yeah. you know, threatening or whatever happening. It's a bit odd to talk about pacing when it comes to a uh, written fan work like this mm-hmm. because a lot of the pacing that we're used to is, like, um, movies and TV shows which are done by committee and by a, by a sponsor who wants certain things done at certain times. And this is something done originally just 
because they wanted to. Yeah. So should we put those sort of pacing expectations on a, um, uh, I don't want to say self-indulgent, but like um, a self-made fan work? I think you can discuss the pacing of a book, especially when it's published as a book. Yes. And has had an editor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't think those are unfair topics to touch. And cool. incidentally, apparently there were rumors at some point of there being a Tropical Storm movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. Didn't come to anything. <laughs> but according to the fan lore website, another Uber novel about a lesbian director of a major Hollywood film and her deeply in denial lead actress <laughs> had the movie that they were filming be an adaptation of Tropical Storm. That'd so, be fine. <laughs> that, that, that sounds really yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> so this was well received by the Xena Uber readership mm-hmm. and I guess by kind of the lesbian romance novel reader readership. And so you get some neat little asides like that, like it being referenced in another novel by another author, or someone called Honey composed an original soundtrack to it and put it wow. online. Nice. Quite you, the praise. You can find that from the fan lore uh, article on Tropical Storm as well. Also, I might be approaching this from like a, from a different viewpoint, because like I've read a lot of material at this point, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is like um, LGBT-friendly and maybe back in the day there wasn't as much stuff. I don't think there was. I'm no, told I'm told this whole Xena Uber thing led to a little bit of a publishing boom. Right. And so maybe in '98, where were you turning for your lesbian romance novel series needs? Like, right. if I was looking for that, and this came out, this would would be amazing. Yeah. Um, lesbian romance portrayals for lesbians were super uncommon, and and even are still really uncommon. But like until recently. That was a very underserved community in terms of what became popular and what came out on TV. That's why Xena had such a huge impact, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know? Like, a realistic lesbian depiction. Actually, Amato, I wanted to ask you, too, sort of non sequitur. What You mentioned the Uber thing. What does that mean specifically? Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, in short, I'm not sure I can find that. Uberfic. This is what Wikipedia says. Genre of alternative universe fan fiction in which characters or events are portrayed somewhat closely to original canon, but in a different time period, place, or reality. The term originated in the Xena Warrior Princess fandom. Coined in 1997 by Kim Taborn, the webmaster of the fan site Woosh.org. But I'm not sure why the term Uber. I was looking for it during that uh, Xena Scrolls episode and it never came up. No. Huh. You would think that it would be something from the Xena Scrolls because. Hmm. So it's literally anything that's like reincarnations, yeah, basically. It, it differs from what I would call just an alternative universe fanfic, which we haven't really read huh. any of. Yeah. In that it does seem to be very common to feature the ancestors, descendants, or reincarnations of canon characters. Oh, maybe they're known as Uber characters. At, in terms of like over characters where it's like oh, oh you yes. have you have Xena and Gabrielle in this time period and in that time period and they're all reflections of the uber characters so or whatever so it's different than AU oh, okay. because they're, yeah. they have a direct, direct line to the previous character if I'm yeah. reading a Sailor Moon story right where it's like oh uh, Serena is an aristocrat and Seiya is like the you know the dashing fan not fan the dashing yeah. poor person who she falls in love with and I wouldn't read that because I generally do not read AU stories <laughs> because I'm like what is this even a fanfic <laughs> anyway 
in that story, they would not try to be saying that it is in some sense in continuity with Sailor Moon, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas these Uber authors are saying that in some sense, this is the same continuity as Xena Warrior Princess. And the characters are reincarnations because the conceit of the Xena Scrolls was that Xena, the events of the Xena TV series are historical. Right. And right. The characters are existing in the same timeline. Yeah. Okay. And that's fine, though, because, like, if you talk about anything in a TV show or piece of media where characters who are descendants of the original characters look and act exactly like them, Mm -hmm. that is an AU. Like, let's be real. That's (laughs) not how genetics and existence and humanity works. Just say it. Just say it. Yeah. Speaking of all this, (laughs) let me return back to the controversy that no one actually cares about, but I kind of care about. I care about this. Is this this. is this a Xena fanfic? Does anybody have a strong stance? Dang, it's so hard. (laughs) Like, no, no, no. I I would call this Xena inspired. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And I think that's probably more accurate than saying it is a piece of Xena Warrior Princess fanfiction. Even if they have dreams that are supposed to be subtle references, that are supposed to be kind of a nod of the head towards Xena, it's still just too disconnected. Mm-hmm. I agree. But to be honest, the only thing that really, maybe not the only, but the thing that really mostly kept the intrigue in the story for me is imagining these characters as the Xena characters. Like, if you read this <laughs> yeah. as a standalone, I don't think you'd have the same tie-in. Like, there was so much where you're like, how is Dar Xena? And how is Carrie Gabrielle? And you can see those, like, nuances of how their personalities are similar, how they translate to a different time period. I feel like it's a lot of the intrigue of the early story. So it's weird because it's, like, on its own, no. But having that early information sort of makes the story more interesting. So if you read this completely divorced from Xena, do you think that would add or subtract to the story? I think it would totally subtract. Like, mm. Because I, like I said, I found it interesting to think about how the characters could be the Xena characters. Hmm. Less agree- interesting if they're not, you know? Mm. I agree that's a large part of the reader experience in the early part of Tropical Storm. Later on, not so much. But even later on when I was reading these books... I was constantly, like, um, I couldn't imagine most of the characters, but I would constantly, like, try to imagine Lucy Lawless in the outfit <laughs> described, in the situation oh, totally, described. Yeah. Yeah. Or, but, see, that's the fan service element of it, too. Like, it's what, it was, what I was talking about, too, that makes it so fun, is, like, right. your favorite characters in a different setting is part of the fun fan experience. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be more familiar or more comfortable calling this a fanfic if the author gave a little bit more... Um, hints or suggestions in that way where they wanted you to imagine them as Xena in certain certain cir- circumstances. It seemed like most of the time you could just completely divorce it. But then I'm probably kind of, I'm coming from the point of view of not having read or watched any Xena at all. Right. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. Yeah. So I, I, even after watching one or two episodes, which means like nothing, I still don't really see too much of the Xena influence on the story. Like if you want to, like if you're curious about it, then that's a uh, something you'd be thinking about while reading. I don't, I'm talking out loud. I'm not the only point at this point. <laughs> I 
No, I get it. I'm confused myself. <laughs> I get it. Because, yeah. again, like, what I was trying to say is that it's sort of my investment in the characters that makes me interested in this. If you don't have investment in the characters, it's like, but that, that what do, are we reading? That does seem of. very heavy qualification for fan fiction because it's Agreed. something you're enjoying because you're a fan of that of that uh, series. You're right. you're right. In a sense, that's an argument in yeah. favor of calling it fanfic. Another argument in favor of calling it fanfic is, like, you know, you don't have to do Death of the Author. Mm-hmm. The author... It's a Xena fanfic writer who wrote other fanfic that's actually Xena and was writing mm-hmm. this with the characters in mind, specifically trying to do this, thinking of Xena. You know, I don't know how much weight that has, but I feel like it has non-zero weight mm-hmm. in terms of discussing whether something is a fanfic. That's a good point. That's a question. If the author just calls it a fanfic, is that enough to qualify as a fanfic? I mean, if they were writing it with the intention of it being a fanfic, like maybe that's enough. <laughs> This is a really good point. It's really hard to go full Bart's on a fanfic here and kill off the author because you're in. People are in conversation with the authors right. of the fanfics as they're reading them. It's such a common thing to comment and hear feedback. I feel like the author plays just as important a role. Like their perspective plays just as important a role I think, in fanfic as the the yeah. fiction does. I think if often. a story is a product of a fan community, mm. and the author says it's a fanfic, I would abandon all my personal prejudices. And say that I would, I would agree. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. It's really not our role to decide whether it's a Xena fanfic. Mm-hmm. If the Xena fandom is like, that's a Xena fanfic. Right. Mm. Right. Agreed. I would say that the Xena fandom does get to decide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's decided. It's a Xena fanfic. We will be able to air this episode on our podcast, Retro Fanfic Retrospective. We don't have to throw it out. <laughs> Thank God. I was so concerned. Yeah, uh, yet another episode on the cutting room floor. <laughs> There's all those times when I chose something and we were like, that's not a fanfic. Wait Let's a just minute. not talk about it. <laughs> it's a really good thing, though, to like notice that fanfic doesn't have to be like what we say fanfic is. The fan community is our informative source. They are our community. Well, yeah. Tori, that's only true so long as we don't hit a critical mass of popularity and become <laughs> the arbitrators of fan culture and fan fiction. Oh, dear God. And so give it another few years. I think it's surprising we went 30-plus episodes before even coming to the topic of what is a fanfic. That's I just know. Be, that's I'm just because of my, it's because of my aversion to AUs. I just, like, don't care. <laughs> it's like as soon as you're like, they're high school students, I'm like, different fanfic. <laughs> I enjoy that stuff. I think that's fun. One of my favorite, back when I was in the Homestuck fan days, one of my favorite AUs was uh, the Homestuck cast as marching band members, and each character... Each character's personality was personified by the instrument they play. Okay, <laughs> here's the thing. Since you're talking about Homestuck, isn't Homestuck its own fan fiction? That's another question for a different podcast, I think. <laughs> for Sorry, me, but... for me, I'm a continuity nerd, mm. and so like, if you throw out the continuity, I'm like, but but what's left? What do I latch onto? <laughs> Agreed. I gotta agree with that one. We're going to start closing this out. So, is there anything that we want to complain about that we did not get to? I've already talked about my main problem, which is the pacing. Mm-hmm. I think I would have kept it shorter, sort of a one, two, three beat instead of um, five chapters of what seemed like, I don't want to say dithering, but like a lot of unnecessary things going on. Mm-hmm. If this was like a, if this is like a character work, then it makes sense not to be hastily progressing the story. But it seemed like they set this up with a uh, big ticking clock at first. Hmm. 
like you can't quite decide whether it's going to be dramatic external conflict or just like somebody talking about the food they like to eat right yeah, well, yeah it's, it definitely tries to be both yeah having read a lot of it i would say that in some ways the kind of focus on the positive relationship and kind of the the returning to those motifs as like a bedrock for the series and the characters is very effective but in other ways the character has not the character the author has a lot of um writing ticks that just come back around over and over like i and, think I think I would like it if it was just apparent this was just about like a relationship, a, a, just a good relationship being happy. That, mm. that, that'd be nice. My my natural tendency was to try to focus on the external plot and uh, and skim over that those parts more. And there's a few kind of phrases and things that return over and over enough to be noticeable. There's the phrase kiss my ass, but the author is very aware of that one. Mm-hmm. And there's also like mentions of their eyes. Like I, I heard their eyes mentioned enough for for my life baby blues that kind of thing yeah i mean i agree with yeah i agree with that there's there's a lot of redundancy there's some weird points where like um i don't know if this is in the reading that we covered but where they do go shopping together and they talk about like carrie's like talking about a specific store and dar's like have you been to the disney store and i'm just like it seemed very out of character for what those characters have established to be it felt like more personal to what the author was like wanting to do. Like a lot of the food parts felt like that, where it was just like kind of off the cuff, like let's talk about the Disney store. Let's talk about the restaurant we're at versus those like Dar initially being kind of a hard ass. It kind of didn't always gel. Well, I can confirm that Dar having a soft spot for Disney world is a continual yeah, thing. It kind of jumped <laughs> out, you know, kind of initially, but you know, it's, that's not so much criticism. It's just like, I kind of wish the development had been more natural and less like a back and forth between each of them deciding if they liked the other person. I felt like it could have progressed more quickly and it could have been a little more initially intimate to kind of pace it faster. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Mostly pacing issues, I suppose. But what do we want to emphasize as praiseworthy on our way out? I would say having read a bunch of it, there's two things that, I guess both things are characters, that kind of kept me reading more than a lot of things. First, the the protagonists are charming. Yeah. And, like, I don't mean that, like, casually. I mean, like, they're distinctly charming. Like, it's fun to read about them. And, like, when, they, when other kind of secondary protagonists get worked into, they also tend to be very charming. Mm-hmm. They tend to be very distinct. They all talk in different voices. For example, Dar's parents end up being kind of like secondary protagonists on and off in a few books. Hmm. And Dar and Carrie and, well, Dar and Carrie blur together a little bit more sometimes. But Dar (laughs) and Carrie and each of Dar's parents have like very distinct voices and, you know, all being kind of charming in their own way. And on the other side of the coin, the antagonists you end up getting are just like the most punchable crop of antagonists (laughs) (laughs) like throughout all of these books. Just, like, a whole bunch of real shit heels, And so, like, in in all of the dramatic plots, you're just, like, waiting for these people to be taken down. And you have to wait for it. Like, the author makes you, like, makes you work for it and read through it. And generally, people get some sort of satisfying comeuppance. And, you know, as a kind of continual series, it's a good structure and pattern that keeps you wanting to read more. I do have a... Soft spot for punchable as an adjective. (laughs) I I like it when my antagonists are punchable. (laughs) Because, for example, 
Live action Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. really great series, mm-hmm. extremely punchable Mamoru. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just want to deck him all the time. <laughs> yeah, he never really gets punched, huh? No, not yeah. nearly enough. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more punching that happens in this. And, and I don't think I got to a point where there was a clear antagonist in this, but I will say that the character there is the like satisfaction of the characters being kind of like the plots being very distinctly like xena like in the sense that they're kind of simple and you know you confront the conflict resolve the conflict then the characters get to have their sweet moment together mm-hmm. very satisfying in that sense i think i did like a lot of the uh, punchable moments in this fanfic now that i'm thinking about it because like there were moments that were punchable and that was justifiably punchable. Right. <laughs> I'm going to keep using that as a word. <laughs> and um, even afterwards, it wasn't just like a big, yeah, we punched him, it was good, but it was just like, a, like it was a traumatic thing. And even the mm-hmm. person that came out ahead of that still had to work through the, work through that, work through that, through, 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 through those emotions. And like how even inflict, inflicting violence is a tough thing to do. Mm. You know what? I think... That's actually a really good point. When I say characters are punchable, I don't mean they always get literally punched. But like sometimes the the victory over them is a different way. Right. But yeah. the but the characters usually aren't just like ah oh, yeah I'm a badass coming out of it. They're like oh man I got really lucky or it's like um, like that shit was scary. <laughs> right. That that shit was scary. I'm glad we're through it now. Right. Like my, yeah. my you know their their emotions still run high and like that's one of the ways in which the two characters can like bring each other back down is like being comfort after experiences that are extremely stressful and like from what i read the violence done by the good people wasn't unnecessary but was still tough um to experience yeah i think so yeah yeah it's hard to yeah it's hard to say how this this whole thing goes down amato you know more but there were two particular instances in which Dar had to get physically violent with people who were, I think, in the first instance, trying to sexually assault someone in a bar, and then there were also people who were trying to sexually assault Carrie in the car because that they made first it incident, clear... That first incident is like something that happened in the past, but gets oh, brought okay. up. Isn't that I right? See, I, oh, I thought that was something that happened like in an, an interlude in which she was in... Maybe it was a reflection. There was one when Dar was in a... A hotel in Washington D.C. Oh, oh yes, okay. And then an elevator. Oh, yeah. yeah, was yeah. that a reflection or was that no? A, the, no. That, that happened in this. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it, anyway, there, there was a bar incident that's in Dar's character's past. But anyway. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, I, I, oh, it was a hotel. I thought it was a hotel bar. Anyway, point being <laughs> that she had to beat some dudes up, and they there was I don't know. It was interesting because she seems, and I would like to see how that develops. She seems to have a lot of issues with like. Should I or should I not use violence? But mm-hmm. the situations in which she does are clearly ones in which it's necessary. Yeah. yeah. And then the one with the the hotel, she gets kind of a, a cute uh, server. I think was flirting with her. He was yeah, like very appreciative yeah. that she was doing that to protect the other woman. It yeah. was it was a very sweet moment. You know, it was like, yeah, girl, just yeah. wear those dudes. I did also then, appreciate that flirting that happened there. That's pretty yeah, fun. Yeah, there was some flirting. <laughs> and then apparently the guys actually worked, like, I don't know, for her company or company. For like a subsidiary or something. Yeah, yeah, so she was able to, like, get them all totally, like, fired and their yeah. reputations the, destroyed the, after. The, so she did, she beat them up <laughs> and then made a phone call and, like, destroyed their careers. Yeah, and the, I was like, yes. The, the, the hotel that, was like, we're so sorry this happened. Do you want us to call the police? And Dara's like, no, I got this. And, <laughs> and that's sure, so sad. That, that's exactly what I'm know? talking about in terms of, like, yes. when, when 
when the antagonists are brought down, it is extremely satisfying. The author does a really good job of it. Because they're undeniably punchable. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also very Xena. And that's yeah. great. Love it. Love that. All right. There's more I could say about, like, kind of the character development and dynamics between these characters, but it would just be, be me talking to myself about <laughs> things that I read weeks ago. So f- suffice it to say, if this seems like the kind of thing that you might like, you might like it. Um, Whoa, slow down. (laughs) And I certainly enjoyed getting into it and having, like, several weeks of my life be reading a whole bunch of Dar and Carrie books. It was a nice change of pace. If nothing else, it seems very positive. Yeah, 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 it it is, it is. It's very optimistic in terms of, like, love being great and, like, there being really good people in addition to extraordinarily shitty people. Yeah. And, you know, that's about... All yeah. you can hope for, right? And I think yeah. there's something to be said about conflict being the driving force in like a story, but it's also nice just for things to be nice for a bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to have a place where that's okay. Yeah, uh, kind of a safe place. Yeah, and I, yeah, and this probably was a safe place for a lot of the readership in yeah. like the early, the late '90s and early 2000s when these books were at their height. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing is like probably a lot of other stories coming out about I mean this is still so common if I try to find a movie I'm possibly searching for gay movies on Netflix and finding that in like 90% of them the character dies Mm -hmm. or is assaulted or like something terrible like I just want to see a movie about gay characters where nothing fucking terrible happens to the characters so this was good you know I mean when where's like the gay Hallmark Channel movie you know exactly (laughs) that's this that was totally oh my god Hallmark Channel that's such a good way to describe it just a nice You're happy right. movie where there's no conflict and it's just supposed to make you feel good. This mm-hmm. is definitely the opposite of the kill your gays trope. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like all gays are saved. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just have a nice time eating food. Right. The, the food will be good. Eventually they will adopt a puppy. It's great. Yeah. Eventually they'll get over their eating disorders. <laughs> that too. But... What, what kind of puppy? <laughs> oh, I, I forget. Oh. Golden Retriever. <laughs> I would have to look it up. <laughs> What's the gayest puppy? <laughs> All dogs are pretty gay, I think. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> all, just, it's like, all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> all dogs are pretty gay. <laughs> uh, anyway. I'm going to sample you saying that for my next <laughs> song I put out. I'll, I'll send it to you so you can use it as a ringtone. <laughs> Thank you. Now, we are going to go back to some actual sword and sorcery, I guess, next week with some Legend of Zelda fanfic. Reflections 1 and 2... Because they are both off of the internet and only accessible by Wayback Machine, I've got to give two links to them. It's bit.ly slash RFR Reflections and bit.ly slash RFR Reflections 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Is uh, this um, Legend of Zelda, like the NES games? Or I believe it ones? is Ocarina of Time. Dope. Okay. Because I know there's some Ganondorfs happening. All right. And I'm down I, for that. I never played Ocarina of Time. Are you kidding me? You know the first tattoo that I ever got was Triforce. Look, I, I like my Ganons to look like weird. pigs. That's all I'm going to say I mean, about I hear you, because that laughing when you die, I grew up with that. Ho, ho, ho. And the, the only Zelda game I've played is uh, Link's Awakening. That's a good game, though. That's a great game. Yeah, yeah. but not, not very Zelda, though. No, I've been playing Zelda since I was, like, two years old, so... Uh, well, hopefully we'll have some things to talk about besides Ganon and whether or not he is a dwarf. <laughs> you know, he does turn into a pig in Ocarina of Time. I'm like, very eventually. happy to hear that. 
Yeah. Okay. It's just he achieves his final form. He just, Ganondorf <laughs> is in his final form. He does turn it back into Ganon. This I just want you to know. This isn't even my final form. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe in Reflections 2, he will go even farther beyond. Mm-hmm. That will... Uh, I just provided blanks to that. And as for this... This was episode 37 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Tropical Storm, or at least some of it, by Melissa Good. You can find a link to the online, not published as a book version of the story, which is slightly different from the published version, at bit.ly slash RFR Storm. The intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic, send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice, or we now actually have a Facebook page. Probably I'm going to be using it like I use my Twitter (laughs) and just put a link to the episodes when they go up. But that's probably an easier place to have a conversation or to bug us about stuff than, you know, Twitter is, I guess. Yeah, we desperately need a social media person. (laughs) (laughs) I can try. (laughs) Are you saying I'm not a social media person, Dom? I'm not saying any of us are. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying our... I mostly use my Twitter to argue with you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have a Twitter. (laughs) It's a worthy cause. Yeah. Well, we'll see what comes of it. But there will be a page. uh, There should be a page at this time when you're listening to this episode. Mm -hmm. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Don. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Bye. Enjoy your lesbian uh, dinner conversations. All dogs are gay. Eventually they will adopt a puppy. It's great. All dogs are gay. It's great. saved.